Chapter forty four of the Ordeal of Richard Feverel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ordeal of Richard Feverel by George Meredith. Chapter forty four. The watch consulted by Hippias alternately with his pulse in occult calculation hideous to remark said half-past eleven on the midnight adrian wearing a composedly amused expression on his dimpled plump face held slightly sideways aloof from paper and pen sat writing at the library table round the baronet's chair in a semicircle were lucy lady blandish mrs doria and ripton that very ill bird at raynham they were silent as those who question the flying minutes ripton had said that richard was sure to come but the feminine eyes reading him ever and anon had gathered matter for disquietude which increased as time sped sir austin persisted in his habitual air of speculative repose remote as he appeared from vulgar anxiety he was the first to speak and betray his state pray put up that watch impatience serves nothing he said half turning hastily to his brother behind him hippias relinquished his pulse and mildly groaned it's no nightmare this his remark was unheard and the bearing of it remained obscure adrian's pen made a louder flourish on his manuscript whether in commiseration or infernal glee none might say what are you writing the baronet inquired testily of adrian after a pause twitched it may be by a sort of jealousy of the wise youth's coolness do i disturb you sir rejoined adrian i am engaged on a portion of a proposal for uniting the empires and kingdoms of europe under one paternal head on the model of the ever-to-be-admired and lamented holy roman this treats of the management of youths and maids and of certain magisterial functions connected therewith it is decreed that these officers be all and every men of science etc and adrian cheerily drove his pen afresh mrs doria took lucy's hand mutely addressing encouragement to her and lucy brought as much of a smile as she could command to reply with i fear we must give him up to-night observed lady blandish if he said he would come he will come sir austin interjected between him and the lady there was something of a contest secretly going on he was conscious that nothing save perfect success would now hold this self-emancipating mind she had seen him through he declared to me he would be certain to come said ripton but he could look at none of them as he said it for he was growing aware that richard might have deceived him and was feeling like a black conspirator against their happiness he determined to tell the baronet what he knew if richard did not come by twelve what is the time he asked hippias in a modest voice time for me to be in bed growled hippias as if everybody present had been treating him badly mrs barry came in to apprise lucy that she was wanted above she quietly rose sir austin kissed her on the forehead saying you had better not come down again my child 
kept her eyes on him oblige me by retiring for the night he added lucy shook their hands and went out accompanied by mrs doria this agitation will be bad for the child he said speaking to himself aloud lady blandish remarked i think she might just as well have returned she will not sleep she will control herself for the child's sake you ask too much of her of her not he emphasized it was twelve o'clock when hippias shut his watch and said with vehemence i am convinced my circulation gradually and steadily decreases going back to the pre-harvey period murmured adrian as he wrote sir austin and lady blandish knew well that any comment would introduce them to the interior of his machinery the eternal view of which was sufficiently harrowing so they maintained a discreet reserve taking it for acquiescence in his deplorable condition hippias resumed despairingly it's a fact i've brought you to see that no one can be more moderate than i am and yet i get worse my system is organically sound i believe i do every possible thing and yet i get worse nature never forgives i'll go to bed the dyspepsy departed unconsoled sir austin took up his brother's thought i suppose nothing short of a miracle helps us when we have offended her nothing short of a quack satisfies us said adrian applying wax to an envelope of official dimensions ripton sat accusing his soul of cowardice while he talked haunted by lucy's last look at him he got up his courage presently and went round to adrian who after a few whispered words deliberately rose and accompanied him out of the room shrugging when they had gone lady blandish said to the baronet he is not coming to-morrow then if not to-night he replied but i say he will come to-night you do really wish to see him united to his wife the question made the baronet raise his brows with some displeasure can you ask me i mean said the ungenerous woman your system will require no further sacrifices from either of them when he did answer it was to say i think her altogether a superior person i confess i should scarcely have hoped to find one like her admit that your science does not accomplish everything no it was presumptuous beyond a certain point said the baronet meaning deep things lady blandish eyed him ah me she sighed if we would always be true to our own wisdom you are very singular to-night emmeline sir austin stopped his walk in front of her in truth was she not unjust here was an offending son freely forgiven here was a young woman of humble birth freely accepted into his family and permitted to stand upon her qualities who would have done more or as much this lady for instance had the case been hers would have fought it all the people of position that he was acquainted with would have fought it and that without feeling it so peculiarly but while the baronet thought this he did not think of the exceptional education his son had received he took the common ground of fathers forgetting his system when it was absolutely on trial false to his son it could not be said that he had been false to his system he was others saw it plainly but he had to learn his lesson by and by lady blandish gave him her face then stretched her hand to the table saying well well 
she fingered a half-open parcel lying there and drew forth a little book she recognized ha what is this she said benson returned it this morning he informed her the stupid fellow took it away with him by mischance i am bound to believe it was nothing other than the old notebook lady blandish turned over the leaves and came upon the later jottings she read a maker of proverbs what is he but a narrow mind with the mouthpiece of narrower i do not agree with that she observed he was in no humour for argument was your humility feigned when you wrote it he merely said consider the sort of minds influenced by set sayings a proverb is the halfway house to an idea i conceive and the majority rest their content can the keeper of such a house be flattered by his company she felt her feminine intelligence swing under him again there must be greatness in a man who could thus speak of his own special and admirable aptitude further she read which is the coward among us he who sneers at the failings of humanity oh that is true how much i admire that cried the dark-eyed dame as she beamed intellectual raptures another aphorism seemed closely to apply to him there is no more grievous sight as there is no greater perversion than a wise man at the mercy of his feelings he must have written it she thought when he had himself for an example strange man that he is lady blandish was still inclined to submission though decidedly insubordinate she had once been fairly conquered but if what she reverenced as a great mind could conquer her it must be a great man that should hold her captive the autumn primrose blooms for the loftiest manhood is a vindictive flower in lesser hands nevertheless sir austin had only to be successful and this lady's allegiance was his forever the trial was at hand she said again he is not coming to-night and the baronet on whose visage a contemplative pleased look had been rising for a minute past quietly added he is come richard's voice was heard in the hall there was commotion all over the house at the return of the young heir barry seizing every possible occasion to approach his bessie now that her involuntary coldness had enhanced her value such as men as the soft woman reflected barry ascended to her and delivered the news in pompous tones and wheedling gestures the best word you've spoke for many a day says she and leaves him unfeed in an attitude to hurry and pour bliss into lucy's ears lord be praised she entered the adjoining room exclaiming we've got to be happy at last they men have come to their senses i could cry to your virgin and kiss your cross you sweet hush lucy admonished her and crooned over the child on her knees the tiny open hands full of sleep clutched the large blue eyes started awake and his mother all trembling and palpitating knowing but thirsting to hear it covered him with her tresses and tried to still her frame and rocked and sang low interdicting even a whisper from bursting mrs barry richard had come he was under his father's roof in the old home that had so soon grown foreign to him he stood close to his wife and child 
he might embrace them both and now the fullness of his anguish and the madness of the thing he had done smote the young man now first he tasted hard earthly misery had not god spoken to him in the tempest had not the finger of heaven directed him homeward and he had come here he stood congratulations were thick in his ears the cup of happiness was held to him and he was invited to drink of it which was the dream his work for the morrow or this but for a leaden load that he felt like a bullet in his breast he might have thought the morrow with death sitting on it was the dream yes he was awake now first the cloud of phantasms cleared away he beheld his real life and the colours of true human joy and on the morrow perhaps he was to close his eyes on them that leaden bullet dispersed all unrealities they stood about him in the hall his father lady blandish mrs doria adrian ripton people who had known him long they shook his hand they gave him greetings he had never before understood the worth of or the meaning now that he did they mocked him there was mrs barry in the background bobbing there was martin barry bowing there was tom bakewell grinning somehow he loved the sight of these better ah my old penelope he said breaking through the circle of his relatives to go to her tom how are you bless ye my mr richard whimpered mrs barry and whispered rosily all's agreeable now she's waiting up in bed for ye like a newborn the person who betrayed most agitation was mrs doria she held close to him and eagerly studied his face and every movement as one accustomed to masks you are pale richard he pleaded exhaustion what detained you dear business he said she drew him imperiously apart from the others richard is it over he asked what she meant the dreadful duel richard he looked darkly is it over is it done richard getting no immediate answer she continued and such was her agitation that the words were shaken by pieces from her mouth don't pretend not to understand me richard is it over are you going to die the death of my child claire's death is not one in a family enough think of your dear young wife we love her so your child your father will you kill us all mrs doria had chanced to overhear a trifle of ripton's communication to adrian and had built thereon with the dark forces of a stricken soul wondering how this woman could have divined it richard calmly said it's arranged the matter you allude to indeed truly dear yes tell me but he broke away from her saying you shall hear the particulars to-morrow and she not alive to double meaning just then allowed him to leave her he had eaten nothing for twelve hours and called for food but he would take only dry bread and claret which was served on a tray in the library he said without any show of feeling that he must eat before he saw the young hope of raynham so there he sat breaking bread and eating great mouthfuls and washing them down with wine talking of what they would his father's studious mind felt itself years behind him he was so completely altered he had the precision of speech the bearing of a man of thirty indeed he had all that the necessity for cloaking an infinite misery gives but let things be as they might he was there 
for one night in his life sir austin's perspective of the future was bounded by the night will you go to your wife now he had asked and richard had replied with a strange indifference the baronet thought it better that their meeting should be private and sent word for lucy to wait upstairs the others perceived that father and son should now be left alone adrian went up to him and said i can no longer witness this painful sight so good-night sir famish you may cheat yourself into the belief that you've made a meal but depend upon it your progeny and it threatens to be numerous will cry aloud and rue the day nature never forgives a lost dinner can never be replaced good-night my dear boy and here oblige me by taking this he handed richard the enormous envelope containing what he had written that evening credentials he exclaimed humorously slapping richard on the shoulder ripton heard also the words propagator species but had no idea of their import the wise youth looked you see we've made matters all right for you here and quitted the room on that unusual gleam of earnestness richard shook his hand and ripton's then lady blandish said her good-night praising lucy and promising to pray for their mutual happiness the two men who knew what was hanging over him spoke together outside ripton was for getting a positive assurance that the duel would not be fought but adrian said time enough to-morrow he's safe enough while he's here i'll stop it to-morrow ending with banter of ripton and allusions to his adventures with miss random which must adrian said have led him into many affairs of the sort certainly richard was there and while he was there he must be safe so thought ripton and went to his bed mrs doria deliberated likewise and likewise thought him safe while he was there for once in her life she thought it better not to trust to her instinct for fear of useless disturbance where peace should be so she said not a syllable of it to her brother she only looked more deeply into richard's eyes as she kissed him praising lucy i have found a second daughter in her dear oh may you both be happy they all praised lucy now his father commenced the moment they were alone poor helen your wife has been a great comfort to her richard i think helen must have sunk without her so lovely a young person possessing mental faculty and a conscience for her duties i have never before met he wished to gratify his son by these eulogies of lucy and some hours back he would have succeeded now it had the contrary effect you compliment me on my choice sir richard spoke sedately but the irony was perceptible and he could speak no other way his bitterness was so intense i think you very fortunate said his father sensitive to tone and manner as he was his ebullition of paternal feeling was frozen richard did not approach him he leaned against the chimney-piece glancing at the floor and lifting his eyes only when he spoke fortunate very fortunate as he revolved his later history and remembered how clearly he had seen that his father must love lucy if he but knew her and remembered his efforts to persuade her to come with him a sting of miserable rage blackened his brain but could he blame that gentle soul whom could he blame himself not utterly his father yes and no the blame was here the blame was there it was everywhere and nowhere 
and the young man cast it on the fates, and looked angrily at heaven, and grew reckless. Richard, said his father, coming close to him, it is late to-night. I do not wish Lucy to remain in expectation longer, or I should have explained myself to you thoroughly, and I think, or at least hope, you would have justified me. I had cause to believe that you had not only violated my confidence, but grossly deceived me. It was not so. I now know. I was mistaken. Much of our misunderstanding has resulted from that mistake. But you were married, a boy. You knew nothing of the world, little of yourself. To save you in after-life, for there is a period when mature men and women who have married young are more impelled to temptation than in youth, though not so exposed to it, to save you, I say, I decreed that you should experience self-denial and learn something of your fellows of both sexes before settling into a state that must have been otherwise precarious, however excellent the woman who is your mate. My system with you would have been otherwise imperfect, and you would have felt the effects of it. It is over now. You are a man. The dangers to which your nature was open are, I trust, at an end. I wish you to be happy, and I give you both my blessing, and pray God to conduct and strengthen you both. Sir Austin's mind was unconscious of not having spoken devoutly. True or not, his words were idle. To his son, his talk of dangers over, and happiness mockery. Richard coldly took his father's extended hand. We will go to her, said the baronet. I will leave you at her door. Not moving, looking fixedly at his father with a hard face on which the color rushed, Richard said, A husband? who has been unfaithful to his wife, may go to her there, sir. It was horrible. It was cruel. Richard knew that he wanted no advice on such a matter, having fully resolved what to do. Yesterday he would have listened to his father, and blamed himself alone, and done what was to be done humbly before God and her. Now, in the recklessness of his misery, he had as little pity for any other soul, as for his own, Sir Austin's brows were deep drawn down. What did you say, Richard? Clearly his intelligence had taken it, but this, the worst he could hear, this that he had dreaded once and doubted, and smoothed over and cast aside, could it be? Richard said, I told you all, but the very words when we last parted, what else do you think would have kept me from her? Angered, at his callous aspect his father cried what brings you to her now that will be between us two was the reply sir austin fell into his chair meditation was impossible he spoke from a wrathful heart you will not dare to take her without no sir richard interrupted him i shall not have no fear then you did not love your wife did i not a smile passed faintly over richard's face did you care so much for this, this other person? So much, if you ask me whether I had affection for her, I can say I had none. Oh, base human nature, then how, then why? A thousand questions rose in the baronet's mind. Bessie Berry could have answered them every one. Poor child, poor child, he apostrophized Lucy, pacing the room, thinking of her, knowing her deep love for his son, her true forgiving heart, it seemed she should be spared this misery. He proposed to Richard to spare her. 
vast is the distinction between women and men in this one sin he said and supported it with physical and moral citations his argument carried him so far that to hear him one would have imagined he thought the sin in men small indeed his words were idle she must know it said richard sternly i will go to her now sir if you please sir austin detained him expostulated contradicted himself confounded his principles made nonsense of all his theories he could not induce his son to waver in his resolve ultimately their good night being interchanged he understood that the happiness of raynham depended on lucy's mercy he had no fears of her sweetheart but it was a strange thing to have come to on which should the accusation fall on science or on human nature he remained in the library pondering over the question at times breathing contempt for his son and again seized with unwonted suspicion of his own wisdom troubled much to be pitied even if he deserved that blow from his son which had plunged him into wretchedness richard went straight to tom bakewell roused the heavy sleeper and told him to have his mare saddled and waiting at the park gates east within an hour tom's nearest approach to a hero was to be a faithful slave to his master and in doing this he acted to his conception of that high and glorious character he got up and heroically dashed his head into cold water she shall be ready sir he nodded tom if you don't see me back here at raynham your money will go on being paid to you rather see you than the money mr richard said tom and you will always watch and see no harm comes to her tom mrs richard sir tom stared god bless me mr richard no questions you'll do what i say ay sir that i will didn't isle of wight the very name of the island shocked richard's blood and he had to walk up and down before he could knock at lucy's door that infamous conspiracy to which he owed his degradation and misery scarce left him the feelings of a man when he thought of it the soft beloved voice responded to his knock he opened the door and stood before her lucy was halfway toward him in the moment that passed ere she was in his arms he had time to observe the change in her he had left her a girl he beheld a woman a blooming woman for pale at first no sooner did she see him than the colour was rich and deep on her face and neck and bosom half shone through the loose dressing robe and the sense of her exceeding beauty made his heart thump and his eyes swim my darling each cried and they clung together and her mouth was fastened on his they spoke no more his soul was drowned in her kiss supporting her whose strength was gone he almost as weak as she hung over her and clasped her closer closer till they were as one body and in the oblivion her lips put upon him he was free to the bliss of her embrace heaven granted him that he placed her in a chair and knelt at her feet with both arms around her her bosom heaved her eyes never quitted him their light as the light on a rolling wave this young creature commonly so frank and straightforward was broken with bashfulness in her husband's arms womanly bashfulness on the torrent of womanly love tenfold more seductive than the bashfulness of girlhood 
terrible tenfold the loss of her seemed now as distantly far on the horizon of memory the fatal truth returned to him lose her lose this he looked up as if to ask god to confirm it the same sweet blue eyes the eyes that he had often seen in the dying glories of evening on him they dwelt shifting and fluttering and glittering but constant the light of them as the light on a rolling wave and true to him true good glorious as the angels of heaven and his she was a woman his wife the temptation to take her and be dumb was all-powerful the wish to die against her bosom so strong as to be the prayer of his vital forces again he strained her to him but this time it was as a robber grasps priceless treasure with exultation and defiance one instant of this lucy whose pure tenderness had now surmounted the first wild passion of their meeting bent back her head from her surrendered body and said almost voicelessly her underlids wistfully quivering come and see him baby and then in great hope of the happiness she was going to give her husband and share with him and in tremor and doubt of what his feelings would be she blushed and her brows worked she tried to throw off the strangeness of a year of separation misunderstanding and uncertainty darling come and see him he is here she spoke more clearly though no louder richard had released her and she took his hand and he suffered himself to be led to the other side of the bed his heart began rapidly throbbing at the sight of a little rosy curtain cot covered with lace like milky summer cloud it seemed to him he would lose his manhood if he looked on that child's face stop he cried suddenly lucy turned first to him and then to her infant fearing it should have been disturbed lucy come back what is it darling said she in alarm at his voice and the grip he had unwittingly given her hand oh god what an ordeal was this that to-morrow he must face death perhaps die and be torn from his darling his wife and his child and that ere he went forth ere he could dare to see his child and lean his head reproachfully on his young wife's breast for the last time it might be he must stab her to the heart shatter the image she held of him lucy she saw him wrenched with agony and her own face took the whiteness of his she bending forward to him all her faculties strung to hearing he held her two hands that she might look on him and not spare the horrible wound he was going to lay open to her eyes lucy do you know why i came to you to-night she moved her lips repeating his words lucy have you guessed why i did not come before her head shook widened eyes lucy i did not come because i was not worthy of my wife do you understand darling she faltered plaintively and hung crouching under him what have i done to make you angry with me o oh, beloved cried he the tears bursting out of his eyes o oh, beloved was all he could say kissing her hands passionately she waited reassured but in terror lucy i stayed away from you i could not come to you because i dared not come to you my wife my beloved i could not come because i was a coward because hear me this was the reason i have broken my marriage oath again her lips moved she caught at a dim fleshless meaning in them but you love me richard my husband you love me 
yes i have never loved i never shall love woman but you darling kiss me have you understood what i have told you kiss me she said he did not join lips i have come to you to-night to ask your forgiveness her answer was kiss me can you forgive a man so base but you love me richard yes that i can say before god i love you and i have betrayed you and am unworthy of you not worthy to touch your hand to kneel at your feet to breathe the same air with you her eyes shone brilliantly you love me you love me darling and as one who has sailed through dark fears into daylight she said my husband my darling you will never leave me we never shall be parted again he drew his breath painfully to smooth her face growing rigid with fresh fears at his silence he met her mouth that kiss in which she spoke what her soul had to say calmed her and she smiled happily from it and in her manner reminded him of his first vision of her on the summer morning in the field of the meadow sweet he held her to him and thought then of a holier picture of mother and child of the sweet wonders of life she had made real to him had he not absolved his conscience at least the pangs to come made him think so he now followed her leading hand lucy whispered you mustn't disturb him mustn't touch him dear and with dainty fingers drew off the covering to the little shoulder one arm of the child was out along the pillow the small hand open his baby mouth was pouted full the dark lashes of his eyes seemed to lie on his plump cheeks richard stooped lower down to him hungering for some movement as a sign that he lived lucy whispered he sleeps like you richard one arm under his head great wonder and the stir of a grasping tenderness was in richard he breathed quick and soft bending lower till lucy's curls as she nestled and bent with him rolled on the crimson quilt of the cot a smile went up the plump cheeks forthwith the bud of a mouth was in rapid motion the young mother whispered blushing he's dreaming of me and the simple words did more than richard's eyes to make him see what was then lucy began to hum and buzz sweet baby language and some of the tiny fingers stirred and he made as if to change his cosy position but reconsidered and deferred it with a peaceful little sigh lucy whispered he is such a big fellow oh when you see him awake he is so like you richard he did not hear her immediately it seemed a bit of heaven dropped there in his likeness the more human the fact of the child grew the more heavenly it seemed his son his child should he ever see him awake at the thought he took the words that had been spoken and started from the dream he had been in will he wake soon lucy oh no not yet dear not for hours i would have kept him awake for you but he was so sleepy richard stood back from the cot he thought that if he saw the eyes of his boy and had him once on his heart he never should have forced to leave him then he looked down on him again struggled to tear himself away to nature's ward in his bosom or it may have been the magian conflict still going on he had come to see his child once and to make peace with his wife before it should be too late might he not stop with them might he not relinquish that devilish pledge 
was not divine happiness here offered to him if foolish ripton had not delayed to tell him of his interview with mount falcon all might have been well but pride said it was impossible and then injury spoke for why was he thus base and spotted to the darling of his love a mad pleasure in the prospect of wreaking vengeance on the villain who had laid the trap for him once more blackened his brain if he would stay he could not so he resolved throwing the burden on fate the struggle was over but oh the pain lucy beheld the tears streaming hot from his face on the child's cot she marvelled at such excess of emotion but when his chest heaved and the extremity of mortal anguish appeared to have seized him her heart sank and she tried to get him in her arms he turned away from her and went to the window a half-moon was over the lake look he said do you remember our rowing there one night and we saw the shadow of the cypress i wish i could have come early to-night that we might have had another row and i have heard you sing there darling said she will it make you happier if i go with you now i will no lucy lucy you are brave oh no that i'm not i thought so once i know i am not now yes to have lived the child in your heart and never to have uttered a complaint you are brave oh my lucy my wife you that have made me a man i called you a coward i remember it i was the coward i the wretched vain fool darling i'm going to leave you now you are brave and you will bear it listen in two days or three i may be back back for good if you will accept me promise me to go to bed quietly kiss the child for me and tell him his father has seen him he will learn to speak soon will he soon speak lucy dreadful suspicion kept her speechless she could only clutch one arm of his with both her hands going she presently gasped for three or three days no more i hope to-night yes now going now my husband her faculties abandoned her you will be brave my lucy richard my darling husband going what is it takes you from me but questioning no further she fell on her knees and cried piteously to him to stay not to leave them then she dragged him to the little sleeper and urged him to pray by his side and he did but rose abruptly from his prayer when he had muttered a few broken words she praying on with tight-strung nerves in the faith that what she said to the interceding mother above would be stronger than human hands on him nor could he go while she knelt there and he wavered he had not reckoned on her terrible suffering she came to him quiet i knew you would remain and taking his hand innocently fondling it am i so changed from her he loved you will not leave me dear but dread returned and the words quavered as she spoke them he was almost vanquished by the loveliness of her womanhood she drew his hand to her heart and strained it there under one breast come lie on my heart she murmured with a smile of holy sweetness he wavered more and drooped to her but summoning the powers of hell kissed her suddenly cried the words of parting and hurried to the door it was over in an instant she cried out his name clinging to him wildly and was abjured to be brave for he would be dishonoured if he did not go then she was shaken off mrs berry was aroused by an unusual prolonged wailing of the child which showed that no one was comforting it 
and failing to get any answer to her applications for admittance she made bold to enter there she saw lucy the child in her lap sitting on the floor senseless she had taken it from its sleep and tried to follow her husband with it as her strongest appeal to him and had fainted oh my oh my mrs berry moaned and i just now thinkin they was so happy warming and caressing the poor infant she managed by degrees to revive lucy and heard what had brought her to that situation go to his father said mrs berry ta ti tiddle ti heidi o go my love and every horse in rainham shall be out after him this is what men brings us to heidi oidi hidley ah or you take blessed baby and i'll go the baronet himself knocked at the door what is this he said i heard a noise and a step descend it's mr richard have gone sir austin have gone from his wife and babe rum ti um ti idlidi oh my goodness what sorrows come on us and mrs berry wept and sang to baby and baby cried vehemently and lucy sobbing took him and danced him and sang to him with drawn lips and tears dropping over him and if the scientific humanist to the day of his death forgets the sight of those two poor true women jigging on their wretched hearts to calm the child he must have very little of the human in him there was no more sleep for raynham that night End of chapter forty four